sermon. Well, good morning. Uh, my sermon this morning is titled uh, Gospel Clarity. And uh, that's a statement that I, uh, there's a statement I've been hearing of more and more often as I've been looking at uh, this guy named Donald Miller. Um, uh, he's a guy who just seems like a genius um, as he's looking at businesses and he's trying to help businesses. And one of the statements that he uses a lot is, if you confuse, you lose. Right? So if you confuse, you lose. And he's talking about, so let, let, let's, say, let's say you're a plumber and you have this business and, you, and we go to your website and, and we're, at, we're, we're reading about your website, reading about you and your dad's story about how you started, let's say, Thompson's Unlimited. This is a fake company. Um, and, and, and we talk about the, a lot of things about the history of your company, um, what kind of person your father was, what are some of the values of your business, why you moved locations, um, and just a, a lot about your story, but we're left wondering at the end of it, but what is it that you actually do? <laughs> Thompson's Unlimited. I, I'm not sure if I've heard anything about plumbing yet. I mean, do you, do you do yard work? Do you do taxes? I mean, it's confusing, and so you just lost out on our sale. So fake company, let, let, now let, let's apply that to a, a real one here. Contrast that with this one called Simplify Church. Um, there's this... Uh, a company called Simplify Church, on the front page of their website, their tagline is, de-stressing pastors since 2006. And I was like, oh, now you have my attention. (laughs) Tell me more. And then the next slide says, handling all of your bookkeeping and financial uh, records. And I'm like, love it. I give you my business. And they are the ones who oversee all of our church's uh, (laughs) bookkeeping and taxes and all that. Um, But The first company confused me, and so it lost me, and I said, I don't know what what that is. This second company, the real company, was very clear, and I understood it, and I I I wanted part of it. But I think in the church, that saying holds true, that if you confuse, you lose. If we confuse the gospel, we lose big time. We lose big time. And I think over the years, if we look at the church and we see that the word gospel is used in every sphere of life, gospel this, gospel this, gospel this, I think we've confused our people, and now we've lost. That we just aren't clear. I mean, does the message of what Jesus has done, applied by the Holy Spirit, actually do anything? I mean, do we understand this as the church? We need to be clear about this. This is our foundation. I want everything else is going to be built off of. And so, I mean, we like to have cool sayings, we like to have logos, but have we gotten the gospel right? And so if we're not getting the gospel right, we are losing. And so I'm going to try to be abundantly clear today, as much as I can. And so let me give you a very clear outline about what the gospel is. I'm going to say what it ain't, what it is, and what it does. Try to be as clear as possible with this, because for the first time in the book of Acts, we actually see the word gospel. This is the first time in the book of Acts that the word gospel is actually used, and we're looking at Acts 15. And so let's all stand as we hear God's word uh, read from Acts 15, verses 1 through 21, and Josh is going to read for us. It's going to take a second to click. It should be on. First, yeah. Hello? 
If you believe it's on, Hello. <laughs> it will be on. <laughs> Hello? Can you hear me? Okay. Acts 15, 1 through 21. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul, and they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we, we do say this is your word, the word of the Lord, and Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, what a beautiful, beautiful thing it is to, to gather together, to open up your word, to have it uh, read us as we read it. And so, Lord, would, it, would your word read uh, and would it convict where it needs to convict and comfort where it needs to comfort. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you're new with us, we're, we're in the book of Acts. We're in the uh, Acts 15, which is, is, is thought to be a, a very turning point uh, in the book of Acts. It's, it's the centerpiece. Uh, it's, it's a watershed for the book of Acts because it, it's flanked by Paul's first and second missionary journeys here. And, and this passage begins and ends in one of my favorite cities uh, in the city of Antioch. And, and, and so just to, we're just going to jump right into what the gospel ain't. 
because the, the text jumps right into it in verse 1. And so we're going we're gonna to dispel some of the what's thoughts there are out there that are, are what does it mean to be saved? And so the, the debate that's going to happen here is how can law-observing Jewish Christians get along with law-ignoring Gentile Christians? I mean, how, how do those two coexist? How do they get along with one another? How does that work? And so the debate is not whether Gentiles, um, those who are not from Jewish descent, should be included, but on what basis they should be included and what basis they should enter the community. And so option one comes in verse one. Option one, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so just to be clear, this ain't the gospel. Okay? Verse 2 says they had no small dissension and debate with them. I mean, why is that the problem? Why is that the problem? And they said, well, you just need to be circumcised to actually be saved. According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved unless you are circumcised. And another way of saying it is you just need to adopt to our culture to be saved. And so circumcision, though, is one of, one of the most important Old Testament laws that they had there. I mean, it was, it was this, this practice where every male had to be circumcised by the cutting off of the foreskin of every adult and, and child male. It was incredibly graphic. It was incredibly vulnerable. But circumcision was this marker to say that, that God's people were separate from the rest of the world, that they, that they were different, that they were set aside, that they were a part of his covenantal family, Right? But this isn't all that these men are asking of them. Is they're not just asking about circumcision to, to, to the Gentile world because the debate with Paul and Barnabas goes even further. They're, they're having this vehemently um, uh, heated debate here where they're disagreeing with, the, with, with them about what, what it is that it takes for non-Jewish people to be a part of the covenant. And they have to take this debate all the way up to the church in Jerusalem and, the, and we get this beautiful picture of church government. Ah. Oh. Who here cringes at that word? <laughs> that doesn't sound like something we should be excited about. But if all you have is people bickering and, and fighting and, and ultimately splitting the church, then having a church government would be helpful to have someone to, to bring it to, and that's what happens. Uh, the, the, they, they go up to Jerusalem because that's where the problem started, right? And so just a side note, uh, we, we have an overseeing body up in Dallas uh, that oversees this church. And so Jerusalem, Dallas, it's like the same thing, right? Um, and so, so Paul is bringing the matter to the elders and the apostles at that church. And then, and, and then they hear the counsel, of, uh, they hear the argument even fuller in verse 5. And we get, a, we get a picture of all that they want to have happen for these Gentile believers. It says, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So we know that these are, these are converted Pharisees who are still having a hard time taking their grips off of the law, that they're having a hard time saying that we have to keep all of it, to keep the law of Moses. And do you know how many laws there were? 613 laws that they had to keep. 613 laws that described what was okay and what was not okay. And a lot of that had to do with what they ate, their cleanliness laws. And some of you guys are reading about these in the book of Leviticus as you're going through our, our Bible reading plan. And you're going, that's a lot of things that we don't do today. What are we talking about? But even if it was just about circumcision, even if it was just about that one law, instead of the 613 laws, what if we just brought it down to one law? 
And we said this, what must you do to be saved? Believe in Jesus and blank. Believe in Jesus and be circumcised. Is that okay? Believe in Jesus and something else. What happens every time in history that we, we, we put something else on top of that believing in Jesus? What happens every single time with that is that we lose. We've confused the gospel and now we've lost it. And what happens is that we, we, we spiral into what's called legalism. And so legalism is, is, is it's where you, we, we are, you're saying you have to live by the law, the legal part, in order to be saved. And so we've lost now our freedom. We've lost our freedom in the gospel here. And so anytime the church has done this, throughout the history, our people are losing. When we teach that people, believers are not justified or are not made right by, by faith alone and in Christ alone, then, then you're made right by faith plus works, meaning that you have to be holy or God won't love you. I mean, this produces, internally, this just naturally produces this list of clean activities that you feel like you need to do. If you're saying, if I need to be clean to be before God, then I need to make sure all of the duties, the things that I'm doing in life are, are clean things. And so we, we, we naturally start drifting towards Pharisaism. This happened all throughout the history of the church. One of the early church fathers, a guy named Tertullian, sweet name, had some good theology. Um, he also has some bad theology. In an, in an effort to protect Christianity from being defiled by the world, he says, you cannot go to the theater. I'm sorry, the theater is too much. You cannot dance. All of that hip movement. You cannot wear cosmetics, and you cannot even wear perfume. And so he, he has a quote here. He once said, if God meant for you to smell like a flower, he would have given you a crop on your head. That's what we believe here at Mosaic. <laughs> so, so can you be a Christian and wear a perfume? This was just a few decades after, after the Bible was written. Just to be clear, no, yes, you can be a Christian and wear a perfume. But we see that the, this debate is happening all throughout history, all throughout Scripture. Is the debate, the debate that's happening right here at the, at the council in Jerusalem of what does it mean to be saved, what, what practices are okay and what are not okay, is happening all throughout Scripture. And one of the big questions is, is the gospel for everybody? Or only those who can clean themselves up to hear it? How clean do you need to be? These Pharisees would say that you need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And some today might say that you, you, you're welcome once you repent. You're welcome to join us once you repent of what you've done. And so here, here's the problem that I want to say right now. That ain't the gospel. That, that's not the gospel because that theology will kill you. Jesus wasn't doing that, Right? He was out there eating with tax collectors, with drunkards, and with prostitutes all the time to where they, they said he must be a drunkard, he must be a glutton because he was out there with people before they repented. That, there, was, there was a Puritan uh, named Thomas Shepard who, who stressed something called preparationism, meaning that you had to prepare your heart to ever hear the good news of the gospel. You had to prepare your heart for salvation to ever come in. And this led him to a lot of self-doubt and agony, and it was the dark side of Puritanism. And, and, and Shepard was then plagued with suicidal thoughts for almost over a year. 
Because this is just toxic theology. If I have to be clean before I come to God, I will never come to God. Never. If, if I have to be holy to even hear the gospel, I will never hear it. Because I know myself. I know I'm a sinner. And if I have to move towards him before he ever moves towards me, that will never happen. He has to initiate the movement. He has to come towards me first. He has to overwhelm me with his love because I know how dark and, and, and committed to sin I am, or as we heard before, how dead I am in sin. And so that brings us to what it is. And so if it, if it ain't, if the gospel ain't the gospel plus some other things, what is it? And that's where our boy Peter stands up, and he's a changed man. Verse 7. That's where <laughs> we do love Peter. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Peter says, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, and that by the mouth of the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel. There's that word. We should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, Peter's probably harking back to that time when, he, when he, was, he was brought to Cornelius and he said, God said, don't call any food unclean. And here's the thrust of Peter's argument in verse 9. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? And so Peter is just saying, we're asking them to keep the law that we ourselves can't even keep. 613 laws. We are hypocrites. And that is a yoke that we are placing on people. A yoke is this, was this, this frame that, that would restrict the movement of animals. And so we're restricting these people. We're putting hurdles in their paths to hearing the gospel. And so we, we can't even keep them straight. How far can I walk on the Sabbath? Is llama meat okay to eat? I don't know. Is that unclean? What about turkey bacon? That's probably sinful. <laughs> what about yoga pants? Is that, is that fabric forbidden? I don't know. No matter how hard we try in our own strength, we will never complete all 613 or even more than that because there's the motivations behind all of those as well. And it gets compounded. We will never keep all of these. And even if we do keep some of them, all, all it's going to do is puff us up and say, I've been keeping the law. But internally, we're going to know that I'm not keeping any of it. And my heart is bitter and angry or, or fearful and anxious. And this is what makes Christianity unique. Because all other religions are basically advice of what you need to do. Of what you need to do in order to make God happy. Every other religion is rooted in, in your work and in your effort. But this is the wild thing about Christianity. Is it's news about what's been done for you. It's news about something that, that, not that you achieve, but it's something that you receive by grace and grace alone. It's something we can't earn. You don't receive it by adhering to a bunch of rules first. It's just freely given to you. And so to be as clear as possible, what is the gospel? The clearest thing I could think of was Romans 5.8. That, that this verse, I feel like, conveys the gospel as clear as possible to me. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinning, 
He didn't wait till we stopped sinning. (laughs) While we were still sinning, he dies for us. That means it's not clean yourself up and hear the gospel. It's just gospel. It's just Christ loves you, period. In fact, he loves you in spite of you. (laughs) He loves you in spite of your sin. In fact, that's why he came for it. And the, the, the word here for gospel, it, it, the Greek word is, is, is euangelion, which literally means, as you may have not heard before, the good news. And it, it's, it's good news, which means at the end of a battle, when, when, when the battle was over, the, the victors would send a runner back to their camps to say, good news, we won. And so what is the good news of the gospel? The good news is that the battle is over and Christ has won. Amen? That death is defeated, that he, he's not just died for you, but he's risen for you. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen, amen, amen. I mean, that, that, the war is over. And so the gospel starts by taking burdens off of you, not by putting them on you. And then in verse 11, Peter says this to reinforce this. Even we Jews are saved by grace as well. So all burdens are off. You don't have to prove yourself anymore takes off the burdens of the guilt and the regret of the past and that you're truly free. You're saved by grace, and that's radical for any of us who actually know our sin. And we say, how is that possible with some of the dark things that I've done? But here's here's what we know about mercy and grace. Mercy is what? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so if I'm speeding, the officer pulls me over, he takes the ticket, and he just scratches it up. That's mercy, not getting what I deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so the officer pulls me over and says, where do you need to go? I need to go to Dallas. Let's go. And he gives me a carpool to Dallas now, speeding at 120 miles an hour. Right? Getting what we don't deserve. And so what do we deserve? We deserve hell. We deserve it. But what we get, the grace that we get is heaven. It's union with Christ though we don't deserve it. And so what it ain't is Jesus plus something. There, in the gospel, there is no entrance fee, right? There is no entrance fee to the gospel. But what it is, is in Christ alone, in grace alone, by faith alone. And because we're saved by that type of good news, let's see what the gospel does, right? What the gospel should do, if, you, if you've seen it clearly, what it should do is should make Christians the most culturally flexible people in the world. The gospel should make Christians the most culturally flexible people in the world. Look at verse 13. James, James gets up. James, he, he's, he's Jesus' brother. He's the one who writes the book of James. He's the one who, who, who potentially sent some men down earlier to talk about this, this view of the law. And so... He, 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 would, he would have, had, in theory, been siding with those who, who, were, who were pushing the law. And James is the one who gets up. He's also known as the kind of bishop from this church here. In verse 16 and 17, he says, the, the summary of all the prophets, they all agree that all nations are written into the script from old. This hasn't been a plan B. This was God's plan A for a long time. And in verse 17, he says that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles or the nations who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things. So God's been planning for this, to bring them in. 
In verse 19, he says, now here's my judgment of what to do with all these people. We should not trouble these Gentiles who turn to God. Now, if this was a rap battle, the mic would have been dropped, right? The mic would have been dropped and everyone would have been yelling, oh, get him, James, right? Burn! And we're like, yes. But then James, who just said, let's not trouble these people, verse 20, but let's trouble them. We should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual morality and from things that are strangled and from blood. And for from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And you go, wait, what? Skirt! <laughs> like record scratch. Uh, what did you just say there, James? The I mean, we were talking about a party. <laughs> like, we heard freedom. We heard no laws. We heard we could do whatever we want. But then you say, don't eat meat polluted by idols. Don't be sexually immoral. Don't any, any, eat anything strangled. That's kind of weird. Or eat blood. All right, James, <laughs> kind of a doubter. But why don't you give the mic to Peter? Why is he saying this? Because we're not just talking about laws right here and no laws. What we're talking about here is how do these two cultures coexist? What we're talking about here, this passage is, is the perfect passage for the multicultural church. Because it's clarifying what is the gospel and what isn't the gospel. And because of that thrilling news of what the gospel is, what, what does it do? It should humble me. It should humble me to realize that I'm no better than anybody else. And so the gospel should kill any and all ethnocentrism so that my culture isn't better than your culture in fact i need it the gospel should do this to us this passage i believe i believe is is about justification and sanctification justification that you are right with god how you're right with god uh, by grace alone sanctification this work of god of of renewing you in the image of god and, and 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 killing your old self your old sin and so, but if we get justification right, we're going to get sanctification. If we, if we misunderstand and, 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 and confuse the gospel and confuse justification, we're going to confuse sanctification. It, 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 they're, they're tied here. We're going to start feeling ourselves superior to somebody if we misunderstand that. But if we get the gospel, it should, it should humble us. It should wreck us and say, like, I, I can't see myself any better than you. I know myself. And God died for me? I mean, this is what makes us love our brothers without qualification. Put yourself in, in their shoes here. Put yourselves in the, in the Jewish Christian's shoes here. For centuries, you've been told that it was dishonoring to God to eat this type of meat. And then some new people come in and they're about to outnumber you. They don't speak your language. They eat different food. They have, they have different cultural practices. And now they're eating the meat that you heard was dishonoring to the God, and you're going, what are we going to do about that? And so you can, you can feel that, the, the tension that's happening here. Happening here. Like, it, all of a sudden, it's just fine to not honor the God here. It, we're just going to say there are no rules. But let me just make clear here. This isn't just cultural differences that's happening in this passage. 
There are some cultural differences happening here. But there's some more going on here than that. That's why in the middle of all these food laws, this is idolatry and the food, there's this passage here that says, abstain from sexual immorality in the mix. I mean, what's going on here is, is in the Greek culture, there was a close connection between idol worship, between having feasts and sex. And so at these idol feasts, they, they would sacrifice an animal to this, this fake god, and sometimes the priest would even, would even drink the blood from the animal. Uncomfortable. Then, and then you would eat it, and then you would partake of this very promiscuous event. And so James says, all right, I've got these two groups coming together that are coming from completely opposite places. They're coming from completely different histories. How are they going to get along now that they're being wired together? How are we going to do this? And James says, Jewish Christians don't require the Gentile Christians to be circumcised and, and, and to adhere to all those cleanliness laws. But Gentile Christians don't abuse your freedom and use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And so this passage is, is on how we get along. Now, can't we all just get along? That's what this passage is about. And what it's going to take is a real dose of humility for us to do so. It's for us to see that we've been saved by grace and grace alone. And so if that's the case, my rights are gladly laid down for your good. If I believe that I've been saved by grace and grace alone, my rights are gladly laid down for your good. How can I serve the people around me? I don't need to prefer my way of doing things. My norm doesn't need to be the ultimate norm. James doesn't say that eating meat uh, that's not well done is a sin. He's just saying consider the people around you. He's saying if it's a cultural norm for the people around you, that, that, that that's not okay, then you, you, you abstain. And so this, this isn't an issue of do these things and you'd be saved, Right? We, we just went toe-to-toe on that issue. <laughs> the gospel is truly free. You're saved by grace and grace alone, but that grace is never alone, right? It, it changes you. It makes you want what's best for the people around you. It takes your mind off yourself and puts it on the people across the dinner table. It puts it on the people across your street, on the people across the river, on people across the train tracks. It says what is best for them. And so grace has been offered so freely to you, let's offer it freely to the other people around us without condition. And so it's, it, it's not do these things and be saved. That's not gospel. But now that we're clear on the gospel, you're saved, you're loved, you're adopted. Now how do we live in this family? Well, in this family, we have a, a few rules. You know, don't kick your brother. Don't bite your sister. Don't eat bloody meat that was sacrificed to pornographic images. You know, just small requests like that. That's why we say God loves you just as you are, but he loves you enough to not leave you the way that you are. God loves you just as you are, but he loves you enough to not leave you the way that you are. He's going to work on you, and it's a good thing. I know I've been changed, and I want change. And when God unites any group of people to, to, together, we realize that change has to happen. That when Gentile Christians and, and, and Jewish Christians come together, they're going to have to fight for unity. 
And that, that unity is going to be costly because they're, they're going to have to start realizing something about themselves. That unity in a body of people from very different background is going to be costly for every, every culture in history. It's going to mean that I'm going to have to give up my preferences. It's going to have to give up some things that I think are, are so important. And I have to look at the gospel and at, at the scriptures and go, what's the most important here? And it's going to be costly, but it's no costlier than what Jesus has done for you. Right? It's no costlier than what Jesus gave up in, in, in coming down to, even coming down to earth. I mean, what rights did he give up to take on flesh? To, to be the person who's omnipresent to localize his presence in the person of Jesus. I mean, what did Jesus give up in coming here? I mean, Philippians 2 talks about Christ emptying himself. What does it mean that he emptied himself for you and for me? What all did he empty himself of? We can't fathom that passage. Emptying himself for me. Jesus didn't just sit in heaven and point a finger and say, straighten up. He empties himself and he comes in the form of a baby and he lives and he dies and he rises again for you and for me. He gives up his rights to reach us. He lays them down for me. And when we see how loved we are first, that we've been given that grace, that grace compels us to love and to give up our rights for others around us. When we see that he, that, that he has taken his eyes completely off of himself and it's focused, laser focused on you and on me, it allows us to take our eyes off of ourselves and focus on you and focus on the other people around us. If you share a home with someone, this is an easy application. <laughs> I mean, you can feel the friction that comes just by sharing the same space. If you live in a, in a community, you can feel that friction and you can, you can see the application is very easy. How can you lift them up today? How can you sacrifice for someone else? The only way to do this is to get gospel clarity. Because if we confuse, we're going to lose it. The gospel is Christ dies for you before you even repent. Before you move towards him, he moves towards you. It's completely his work. But the gospel does something. Amen? It does something. The message that Jesus radically loves you, radically changes you. It changes you. It makes you move towards him and move towards others. Praise the Lord. Let me pray.